Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a fun day. It's a good day. At my house, we're having salmon for lunch. I got it out this morning, and I seasoned it all up, and I can still smell it on my hands while I'm up here this morning. So I'm excited to be done to lunch, uh, maybe as much as some of you are. Um, hopefully not. Um, a few months ago, we talked about how we live in a world where so many Christians today have walked away from faith, they've walked away from Christ, and even more so than those who've walked away from Christ, there are some who still cling to Christ but have left His church, um, that they've said, I still love my Jesus, and my Jesus loves me, but I can't stand being around His people. And, and we hear that a lot, and they've, they've left the church, and there's different co- reasons of of shame and guilt and woundedness that play into that. There's uh, different histories of, of judgment, and broken relationships and betrayal, and all of that's there. Uh, but that's part of the human experience. We all have members in our own families who are held together by um, those blood relationships that suffer as well. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us when it's sometimes hard to stay connected with and committed to people. But as we think about what it means to be a church and to be Christians that seek and save the lost in this season, we've talked about previously this year that we're going to need a different set of tools. When you get to go to someone, it was one of the really fun things about going to Guyana uh, when I was a teenager, and there were times that I would go to someone and say, hey, what have you heard about Jesus? And they would say, not much, nothing. I don't know anything. And the opportunity to evangelistically paint onto a blank canvas for someone, to be the person that gets to be the first one that tells them about the creation and about the crucifixion and the resurrection and all of the implications for that is such a beautiful and powerful thing. But for us in in our world, most of the people that we come in contact with who have left Jesus or left the church made that choice to do so after knowing who Jesus was and after knowing some of his followers. And so we, we go to them and we say, hey, have you, have you heard about Jesus? And they go, yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about it. And it takes a different set of skills to be evangelistic in a world where that's the response. And so earlier this year, I encouraged all of us to be praying uh, that God would give us the, the eyes to see the lost, the ears to hear their stories, and the mouths to communicate God's story with love and truth. And we do need love and truth. There are so many Christians in the world that are all about the truth, and they're all about the facts, and all about the the you need to hear what you're wrong about and I'm right about. And, and, And there's a lack of love in that, a lack of mercy in that. One of the incredible things in the Jesus story is that not only did he enjoy spending time with sinners, but they enjoyed spending time with him. Um, As someone who's a a minister today, uh, I understand how difficult that is. Uh, There are times that I am somewhere and I've met someone and maybe they've uh, said a couple things that, that they would have said to me, this guy, but would not say to me, the preacher. And then we get to the point of the conversation where they say, what do you do for a living? And I go, well, I'm a preacher. And they immediately rewind everything they wish they hadn't said to me. And then they have to look at me like, are you judging me or am I just judging me because of you? And they're trying to sort that out. Uh, and I just kind of say, you're fine. You're okay. We can, we can talk. I'm, it's not like that. Um, but it's because they've encountered too many Christians 
who are just interested in the truth without any of the love and the mercy and compassion. And then there's other Christians that, that have the words of mercy and compassion, but they're so busy telling everyone how much they're loved that sometimes they're not willing to tell them the hard truth that accountability and truth require. And so you get uh, kind of this, you run the risk of it becoming this cotton candy faith community of people that are all just kind of saying, hey, whatever you do is fine. I don't have any truth for you. I just love you and just want you to know that you are fully uh, loved and welcomed here. Well, that misses some of the truths that some people need to hear. Um, When you do premarital counseling with a couple, the thing that you're doing is not teaching them to never get in a fight. It's teaching them how to fight when they need to. Because they need the ability to tell the truth to their spouse about what needs to be better in the relationship and the love to hold the marriage together. That's what you're doing. Christianity needs that too. We have to find the way to communicate the truth about what needs to be better in our spiritual walks with one another and also the love and the mercy and compassion that make the relationship worth having and holds it all together. And so we need to be able to speak with both truth and love. But the reality is that for many Christians today, we're not willing to open our mouths about faith at all. We're not willing to talk about faith to anyone that might possibly end up in a rejection or end up in in discomfort. And so what I want to do today, we're going to look at some survey results that that I think are enlightening and convicting. And then we're also going to look at at Acts 17 and, and how there are really only three possible responses when you share your faith story with someone else. And my goal in doing this is to begin normalizing the the idea of us sharing our faith with other people. That it shouldn't be something that's unusual or unheard of. Uh, That it becomes something that we just get in the habit of doing is saying, I I believe in Jesus, my life is better, yours might be too if you try it. And and just finding little ways to have significant conversations. The Barna Institute over the years has done research about Christians and their willingness or reluctance to share faith with others. And I want to let you see some of the results of this surveys. Um, This is, in survey statistical language, by the way, a biased sample. This is not a random sample of people from across the board. They are only surveying, uh, this is Christians who regularly go to church and who also have shared their faith with someone recently. That's a pretty select group. That's not all Christians. It's only the ones that go to church. It's not just the ones that go to church. It's really only ones that have had a faith conversation with someone. And back in 1993, they asked them, hey, as someone who goes to church and has had faith conversations with others, do you believe that every Christian has the responsibility to share their faith? In 1993, the answer for uh, 89% of people was yes. Nine out of ten Christians said it's the responsibility of all Christians to share their faith. Today, that number, when asked of the same group of people, same sample population, 64% say yes. Down from nine out of ten to really just two out of three. The, the, the belief in churches that we've all got a story to tell has gone down. We don't internalize this as part of our job description of being disciples of Jesus, that we invite other people to disciple him with us. It's changed. Uh, Sometimes the entry point into the conversations about faith has changed. Today when they ask Christians 
what is the easiest way to start a conversation uh, about faith in your uh, experience? And I actually really like this one. 70% of those who were asked the easiest entry point into talking about faith is to ask the other person what they believe. What do you believe about things that matter eternally? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? And then you start your sharing with listening. You build the credibility of the relationship that you don't have to rebuke them for their beliefs. You just hope that it opens the door for them to say, that's what I believe. What about you? They find that that's a great way to start talking about faith. Uh, Two-thirds say that sharing faith is best done by how they live, not by talking about it. Uh, One of the things that's interesting is that 25 years ago, in 1993, when they did this survey, um, they reported that those who emphasized the beneficial aspects of accepting Jesus was 78%. Now that's 50%. Isn't that interesting? That, that that's dropped 28%, that when I'm talking to someone about faith, that I want to tell you how great Jesus is. That should be a, an essential thing. We should know in our own hearts and in our own mind, minds why our life is better as a result of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Certainly, if you have received any benefit from being in Christ, Paul writes. Do you know the benefits of being in Christ? And if you do know... Why are more and more of us reluctant to tell someone else why our life is better as a result of Jesus? But that number does keep dropping. Uh, This won't surprise most of us. Also less popular today is quoting scripture in evangelistic conversations. Uh, 60% thought that was useful in 93. Today that number is down to 37%. Um, That's not a surprise when we go to a world that has left Scripture as a relic of the past and we say to them, can I use this relic of the past to convince you of your faith in the present so that you can have hope for the future? The world's answer is no, no. I'm not very interested in that. I've read it before. I'm not. But sometimes they are willing to do that. They would be more willing to have conversations about what the Bible says if we could talk to them about the benefits that it's had for me my personal testimony, the personal benefits I've experienced from walking with the Word of God. Um, The other thing that is less popular, and this just makes all the sense in the world we live in today, uh, is it's about half as popular now as it used to be in the 90s uh, to challenge the other person to defend their beliefs. Um, I will just offer you that as wisdom for today. Uh, When you get to an early stage in a faith conversation with someone and they say um, that they believe in something differently than you, uh, it's probably not going to be very effective for you to say, ah, defend yourself. I will attack your faith. Uh, That just doesn't tend to work really well uh, in a world that desires meaningful conversation, uh, rich conversation, listening before speaking, uh, challenging that doesn't often work. Uh, And there are social obstacles today, and this comes out in in the research, too. Um, If you're a research person, you're going to love this sermon. If you're not, it gets better in a few minutes, so just stick with me. (laughs) I love this stuff. And there's going to be a couple of hooks in it when we get kind of towards the end of it. It is more likely uh, today when you ask Christians who share their faith, uh, do you need to have a relationship with someone to be able to share your faith with them? Uh, 
back in the 90s, the answer was 37% said, yeah, it works best if you have a relationship with them. Today, 47% say yes to that. Now, there's a good and a bad to that dynamic, right? As that number increases, what it means is that uh, I think that I have a high responsibility to the people I know the most and love the most to talk to them about eternal things. What it also means is I'm more and more scared to have conversations with strangers or acquaintances or coworkers because I don't think I'm close enough to them to talk to them about Jesus. And so on the one hand, it's good that we carry that, that weight of sharing it with people we love. On the other hand, it's bad that we're losing the weight to share it with, uh, with others. Um, 44% of Christians today say that they would avoid a spiritual conversation if they knew their non-Christian friend would reject them. So that's almost half. Um, and we need to talk about this one for a minute. Uh, I was talking to... Uh, Carter about this uh, this morning on the way here, and we're just going through a little bit of this. And he said, well, that makes sense. If you knew it was going to fail, wouldn't it be easier to just uh, not have the discomfort of having the conversation if you know it's not going to work? And I said, I I kind of agree with that. But yesterday I saw someone that went to college with me and who was actually a minister in churches for uh, several years. He's a youth minister. Uh, but who, through a series of interactions with churches and with Christians and and with grief and loss in his own life, uh, has not been inside of a church in five years. And he shares a story uh, just this week of how he was walking through uh, Scissortail Park, and as he was going through the park, a young man, uh, I I get the feeling a teenage boy, came up and started sharing uh, scriptures with him and trying to talk to him about if he would be willing to have a relationship with Jesus. And this friend of mine says, I was so taken aback by the courage of this young boy to come up to me, an adult stranger, and share his faith and to speak to me from scriptures. And he says, and really doing a pretty good job of quoting some really good scriptures. He he said, I was willing to talk to him and walk with him through the park for a little bit and to hear his story and to hear what mattered to him because I was just so impressed with the, the tenacity of this kid. The boldness of it. And then he goes on to say, in the five years since I've not been to church, I've not had another Christian try and ask me about why I haven't been there or talk to me about why I I should come back. But this kid did. He says, now I'm not close to going back to church, but if I can't expect people of faith to talk to me about things of faith, then it's going to be pretty easy to stay gone. So the only people over the past several years that have been willing to have faith conversations with me did not come from it from a place of belief, but from a place of just interest and casual conversation. Church, we've got to get brazen. We've got to get bold in our pursuit of having honest and loving conversations with people that aren't in church anymore. And, and what I hope that, that I can kind of convince you of here this morning is that they are hungry for that too in ways that they don't even maybe realize. But they're open to it. And we are so sure that they're not that we don't want to have the risk of a difficult and uncomfortable conversation. And so when we look at the data about how... Uh, Today, most Christians, if you ask them, do you think that unchurched people 
would be unwilling to talk about Jesus. Uh, in the past, that was 5%. Today, it's almost 30%. We're convinced that, that our non-Christian friends don't want to talk about Jesus. But it's not true, is it, Alton? So when they look at the data where they go and ask unchurched people, this is people that are not part of a church community, not part of a church family, um, who are you? 56% of them say, I don't go to church, but I'm Christian. I'm Jesus-affiliated more than anything else. 32% say that they are non-religious. Uh, and 11% say that they are a follower of some other religion. So this is kind of a, an across-the-board uh, group. And this is how you do you self-identify, and this is how they self-identify. So then they ask them, would you be open to religious conversations? Now, this is important. Because you have to remember that Christians think they're not. And they go ask unchurched people, are you open to this conversation? 47% would discuss it freely. That it would be an interesting and engaging conversation to them that they're happy to talk about. That's half. That means when you go to someone that's not a Christian and you say, do you want to talk about faith or Jesus? There's a 50-50 chance that they're going to talk about it. They're interested in it. Not only that, another 31% that takes us way into the two-thirds range would listen without actively participating, which is, I'll be, I'll be hospitable to the conversation, but don't expect me to start leading it. Two-thirds of people are open to it. 12% would discuss with some discomfort. That's fine. We'll take it. If it means we can have a conversation, they're a little uncomfortable, but it may open the door for them to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pay the price of a little bit of discomfort, right? And then 11% uh, wouldn't. They want to change the subject as soon as possible. Uh, get me to the escape valve. I want out of this conversation. Uh, that means, Alton, what is it? 89% are open to a conversation about religion, faith, and, and, and what we need to share. When they were asked, how do you feel about your Christian friend's faith? 33% said they respect their faith. This one's kind of fun. 18% put up with it. 13% ignore it. 1% give them a hard time about it, and 1% are trying to convert their Christian friends out of Christianity. Okay, so that's a pretty aggressive group right there. Um, but I just want you to see the overwhelming likelihood of you having a conversation with faith with a stranger or a friend or acquaintance is that they are receptive to it. So how's it going? How are we doing? When we ask unchurched people, how many of you have a regular interaction with and relationship with Christians, just in a regular ongoing basis? Two-thirds, 66%, say that they interact with Christians regularly, daily almost. Now, how many of those have ever had a Christian friend explain to them how to become a Christian or the benefits of being a Christian? 30%. What I want you to see is that the world has ears to hear and our mouths are shut. That, that somehow we've become so convinced 
that the non-believing people in the world don't want to hear anything about Jesus, they're willing to talk about it. They're willing to listen. They're willing to converse with us. And we are keeping our mouths shut in the midst of a harvest still being plentiful because we've convinced ourselves that it's a post-Christian world that doesn't want any of this. Now, do we get to go in and just offer them Jesus and expect that all of the wounding and, and pain of their background and all of their problems are going to, that we can fix it with a simple uh, five-step plan to conversion and baptism? Probably not. We're going to have to do a little more work. We have to do a little more uh, praying that God would be working in their hearts and in their lives. And so Jesus once told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's as true today as it was then. And we think it wasn't. We think that back then evangelism was easy. Here's the thing. You go look at the evangelist in the New Testament, they get stoned for talking about Jesus. We get unfollowed on Facebook. And we're like, Jesus, you don't understand. It's hard today. People reject you. People went to jail for talking about Jesus in the New Testament. People are getting executed for talking about Jesus in the New Testament. We get people that 12% are uncomfortable with it. And that's enough to shut our mouths? That's enough to keep us from sharing our faith? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We tell him, yeah, uh, the workers are plentiful, but the harvest is hard. And he's like, the workers aren't leaving to go to the field. Jesus has a message for us to share And the world has ears to hear at least as much as those who follow Jesus. At least as much. Jesus one time fed 5,000 men in addition to women and children. You know what happened the next day? They all went home. They didn't become disciples. He told another group on one occasion that if they wanted to be his disciples, they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they went, this is a hard teaching. And they they all went home. And so when we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, don't you understand that sometimes people reject us when we tell them about you? Jesus' answer is, yeah. They didn't just reject me. They arrested me. They crucified me. I'm sorry if you have to deal with 12% of people that are uncomfortable with you telling them about all the things I've done for you. But 70% of them, 80% of them want to hear what I have to say through you if you'll just listen to them and open your mouths. But we've got to pursue these conversations. All right. I got really into this. And I'm about 45% done with my sermon and 95% done with my time. So welcome to part one. (laughs) See, statistics can be good sometimes. Next week, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17. And if you want to read it this week, uh, you've heard me preach on Acts 17 before because I've always wanted to talk. I love talking about the power and the beauty of Paul's 
uh, evangelistic approach in Acts chapter 17. Uh, especially after some of his failures at Lystra and Derby, all of a sudden he's kind of getting stuff figured out in Acts 17. I'm not going to talk about the beauty of Paul's sermon next week, so if you want to appreciate it, do it on your own time. What we're going to talk about is the last couple verses where the crowd responds to Paul in three different ways. And the truth is that if you share your faith with someone today, they can only respond in the same three ways. And if I can just describe to you all the horrible things that can happen if you share your faith and the potential for great things if you share your faith, we're going to look at the three responses. And I'm just going to keep inviting you and challenging you to find out if maybe the world is a place where the harvest is more plentiful than you've given it credit for, and if Jesus' words still ring true today. If it is, then the workers are still few, and it's time for us to go out to the harvest.